0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff,
1: and management. There are entrepreneurs and business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're also giving back to the community, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking to make the most of yourself and your business, then you will want to stay tuned for the next hour. Here's your host, Chris Cooper.
2: Hi, this is Chris Cooper of BeMoreAchieveMore.com, and it's great to be back again um, after uh, two weeks away on holiday. Uh, While I was away, we had a couple of show repeats, but I'd particularly like to say a big thank you to Simon Zucci, who talked with me uh, about uh, three weeks ago now about investing in real estate. Absolutely awesome content. I mean, if property is your thing, it gives a blueprint about how to do it. So I'll be using the content myself over the years to come. um, So I'd strongly recommend if property is uh, something you're interested in, then um, have a listen to the show with Simon Zucci. Now, I went away to Cornwall and Devon for the last couple of weeks, and they're two beautiful counties in the southwest of England. If you've not been there before, they've got lovely rocky coastline, old fishing harbours that were once the home of smugglers and pirates and narrow twisting country lanes with blind bends where you've got to toot your horn just in case someone's coming the other way. Um, Lovely sandy beaches, cider, Cornish pasties, mackerel fishing, castles, a really nice place and believe it or not we had great weather too. Being the father of two young children though means that holidays are not entirely relaxing as most parents will probably appreciate. A future show guest that I was talking with yesterday actually um, about their show was saying that having children is both energising and exhausting in equal measure and I think that's uh, probably true. I'm eternally grateful for them but I have to say that I'm now quite pleased to be back at work and also to use my voice for other means rather than saying get away from that cliff edge Daniel or Matthew you're too close to the edge of the harbour wall you might fall in. Today we're going to talk about for voice, then? The importance about our voices and how to use it for greater success. When it comes to business and life, your voice can make the difference between engaging people or putting them off. In that deal, exceeding a job interview, winning someone over on a first date, convincing investors to invest in you and your business or engaging people in a speech. We have elements of our voice which are impacted by our physiology. However, we are to a greater extent in control of our voice and how we speak. If it's time for you to break away from some of the habits of upbringing and outside influences and improve the way that you speak, then this is going to really be for you. So, what are the key components of a great voice and how can we become better at using the gift of our speech? Now, my guest is Lewin, the managing director of the DeBerg Group, who heads a team who specialize in providing high end bespoke coaching and training in public speaking, presenting, and pitching to businesses of all size from small startups to the biggest law firm in the world, D.L. Piper. For over 10 years, he's been training and coaching senior executives, partners, politicians, well-known figures in presenting and public speaking. Lewin qualified as a coach with an MA in voice and speech from the University of London, specialising in using the voice to persuade, inspire and inform and combines that background with an understanding of the particular needs of business to deliver tangible results using practical and straightforward methods that are really relevant and appropriate to the client. He's a speaker and presenter himself, as well as being a regular commentator in the media on matters related to public speaking, presentation and delivery. So a big welcome to Lewin de Berg. Thank you very much. Very nice to be with you, Chris. You're very welcome. So let, let's just start, Lewin. Uh, when I first uh, heard your name, I struggled to know which part of the world you were from. Um, do you want to <laughs> tell us where you're from?
3: I can absolutely tell you where I'm from. I'll tell you where my name's from. Lewin is an old Irish Gaelic name. If you travel around the various parts of South West Ireland where Irish Gaelic is still spoken and drive into car parks, you'll see in um, on the signs in the car parks the word Lewin, as well as various other words. And um, you'll soon work out it relates to when you're allowed to park and when you're not allowed to park. And Lewin actually means, in old Irish Gaelic, Monday. Um, in answer to your next question no i wasn't i was born on a sunday the the de Burg bit is originally uh it's 11th century norman french so you'd think okay well where do i come from i'm actually sort of equidistant between the the two because i was born and brought up in glorious west
2: sussex but i'm neither neither french nor irish Ah, interestingly the French for Monday is isn't it? And
3: yeah, there's there's a lot of connection between the you know the 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 learnday the etc etc et and the whole Monday
1: thing.
2: And uh, is, is um you know has the voice been something that's interested you for since you were young or where did that interest come about? I think
3: it all began when I was at school and I was asked to um, read at church one Sunday. uh, And I was um, absolutely terrified of the prospect. But I can remember one of the teachers taking me aside and and giving me some tips and pointers. And, uh, of course, I was still nervous when I did it. But then, actually... I began to think, oh, that's quite interesting because I can make something sound uh, a little bit more interesting and engaging if I do use one or two of the techniques that we're going to discuss later on today. And then, of course, after that, I began to become quite interested in the voice. Um, uh, my parents always had the radio on uh, at home. And, of course, you know, as, as the medium we're going through now, you have only your voice in which you can engage your listeners. So it was something that I uh, I started getting interested in from a school age, and I'm very lucky now to be able to make my living from doing something that I'm extremely interested in and very passionate about. Great.
2: I, I just can't help sort of listening to your voice, Lou, and, and to me it suggests a public school influence. I mean, how do you define a good voice? Do you have to go to public school to have a good voice?
3: Absolutely not. My The, the voice I have now I suspect would be exactly the same whether I had been to public school or hadn't been to public school. The uh, the honest truth is I did go to public school but uh, I suspect that my voice is, uh, it is as it is now because I did actually train for a couple of years uh, in vocal delivery. Uh, started I actually started off my life as a voiceover artist and so of course you really do have to use your voice when you're Saying things like "cashier number two, please," and so on and so forth, or reading out lengthy books over days and days and days in the studio for audiobooks to try and bring those alive. And I don't think that my that the um, the resonance of my voice has anything to do with my schooling. Obviously, my accent, uh, and this is my native accent. My nac- my accent is a product of my schooling, my environment when I was a child, uh, my the way that my parents spoke, and uh, the the um, the
2: region from from whence I came. Mm. It's quite in- interesting. I, I think about my think about my voice. I remember at the age of twenty, I'm from the north of England. Um, right, north of England, we. We say things like love and bath and, uh, <laughs> uh, and and I can remember my first ever boss because I was at university up in the Midlands. But my first ever boss saying to me, "Look, I've got to sort of say one thing to you. You know, people people are actually struggling to understand you because you're so northern in the way that you speak. I think you need to do something with your voice." And, and I guess you know where my voice was then to probably where it is now. I guess demonstrates that you can change it.
3: You can certainly change it. And a lot of people do spend a lot of time changing their their voices. I would go along the line, if somebody said to me, I really want to change my voice because I don't like my accent, for example, or somebody said my accent is uh, challenging, I'd like to have a conversation, a slightly deeper conversation with that person, because, you know, accent is very much part of identity. For me, the most important thing, though, is that somebody is actually clear in that it doesn't matter what what you 're saying, just as long as your audience, who may not be listening to you with native English ears, understand everything you 're saying and if you do have an accent which is particularly fast, shall we say there are certain accents which are very, very fast, um, you know a glaswegian accent for example, or some some parts of um, well where you 're from uh, very, very fast, and it would be difficult for even native English speakers to understand what is actually being said. So, for me, the most important thing is actually clarity. But, of course, you're right. If people do want to change their accents, they can, and there are plenty of examples of people who have done so.
2: I think you're absolutely right. I think it's not about necessarily changing the accent, is it? It's just about making sure that you come across clearly. I mean, I mean how much of your voice do you think is you know, physical and genetic, therefore? Um we we talk about you mentioned about the sort of background you come from, but what 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 do you think is the scope to be able to adjust your voice? Well, I think essentially the scope is
3: quite huge because um, uh, as as human beings we are natural mimickers. That's how we learn to speak. You were talking about uh, your children. I have a three year old boy, and uh, I speak to him in the same way that I speak to other people. I, I don't in any way differ uh my my language to him and he picks it up and he mimics so I say for example bath and he will say bath so all he's doing is mimicking and in a way that's the same as uh, any other muscular activity speaking is a muscular activity
2: it, it, it's, a, it's a muscular activity it's a physical activity
3: I definitely, absolutely, definitely. It's something that we do, I mean, very physically without getting too um, detailed about the whole physiology of this. But you have uh, in your throat, you have your larynx, uh, and in there, um, protected um, behind the bony bit, which obviously isn't a technical term. Uh, are two little flaps of muscle. They're called the vocal folds, sometimes known as the vocal cords, and they are about a centimetre or so in length, and essentially they vibrate. The reason they vibrate is because air is pushed up over them when we exhale. Uh, air is pushed up through um, the, the vocal tract, a pipe. Uh, if you imagine a hose pipe with water coming out of the end of it and you squeeze the end of the hose pipe, the water comes out uh, in a faster jet. Well, that's what's happening there. So when the air comes out, um, it, it's, the, uh, it's the same sound as when we go to the dentist or the doctor and they say, OK, say R ah, for me. And when we say R, ah, it is one of the most open and natural sounds that we can create And those two vocal folds which um, vibrate away, in, for example, in me, in an average male, uh, they'll be vibrating at around 240 times per second. And in an average female, around 195 times per second. That's just on a basic sound, R. Now, obviously on uh, as a as a species we've moved on from various forms of grunts uh, as a means of communication although on the the upper deck of any given london bus at school chucking out time uh, in an afternoon you might be forgiven for thinking otherwise but we have moved on and we have developed language and it All the sounds that you're hearing now and people who are listening to this and obviously understanding English and understanding these sounds, I'm creating all of these sounds from a very, very small part of my body, but I'm using muscles, I'm using the muscles of articulation. Um, and you know for example I'm using my tongue, I'm using the muscles that control my jaw I'm using my lips to shape sound and that's how we that's how we learn to speak so so we are, going back to your original question, we we are a, a species of mimics and that is how we learn to speak and we will mimic what we hear and associate certain sounds with certain things whether that be bath or bath and so the 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 opportunity to be able to re, reshape that it's purely muscular. Some people, of course, are better at it than others. If you take uh, people who, um, who who are impersonators, um, then of course they are better at it than others. But it's just a skill that they practice.
2: It's it, uh, you know, when you explain that you know the thing that comes to my mind is just what an incredible gift the ability to speak is, uh, and in the, in, in, how incredible it is that the you know the biology enables us to be able to actually do it in the first place and the way we can actually you're you're so right and if you take that a bit further and think about all
3: of the different languages I'm speaking to you from London and London is a very eclectic city full of uh, you know a myriad of different languages and th- that is just a small proportion of the of the global language population and you think of the almost infinite variety of sounds and the intricate uh uh differences between those sounds and yet they're created not by some sort of monster computer but by a very very small part of the body you know essentially it's about the size of um uh you know an open hand from where the sound is created if you put your hand up over your mouth essentially you've got your mouth you've got um your, your nose your lips your tongue and the um Uh, uh, the larynx itself where the sound is created
2: Mm.
3: so it's quite extraordinary the the amount of different sounds and different languages that have been created using such a tiny part of the body i would agree with your word miracle
2: I, i guess i mean one of the things i found very interesting was you know the realization that actually what i hear with my voice is different to what other people hear because i'm hearing it from within, with the resonance within my head, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're right. It does make sense. And you are right. It's when people
3: listen to their voices on answer phone messages, or they record themselves and hear themselves back and think, "Ah, do I really sound like that? Well, the answer, of course, is yes. Yes, you do to other people. But of course, to yourself or to oneself, Uh, one is hearing not just the sound coming out of your mouth and travelling around to your ears, but you're also hearing the vibrations uh, within your body. So you're hearing the vibrations in your skull, the vibrations um, in your jaw, the vibrations in your spine, your upper chest, and so on and so forth. So you're getting a a slightly different sound to everybody else.
2: How well do you think, Lewin, that people consider their voice when it comes to business and really engaging with others?
3: Sadly, not as much as I think they should, uh, although I could rephrase that and think from, you know, from a mercenary point of view, um, I'm quite pleased in a way that they don't because they, they, they need help. But there are so many presentations and speeches and pitches going on around the world, probably as we speak, and there'll be audiences sitting there, quite frankly, finding or thinking of ways that they can actually get out of that room, remain awake, try and maybe cause some sort of fire alarm so that the presentation stops because people are just boring them to within an inch of their lives because they're not using their voices to engage. So I think the answer to your question is the minority of people actually think about their voices, but there are so many people who just blindly go in and think, "Oh well, I I, I can speak. I can speak, this is okay, I don't need to do anything in particular, but that's where you would be so wrong when you are thinking about using your voice to engage, to persuade, to inform and to inspire.
2: We're going to go to commercial break now, but after the break, we're going to start to get into some of the the real problems that people face and actually the opportunities and how to go about starting to improve your voice and make positive strides forward with it so uh, do stay with us we shall just be uh, gone for a couple of minutes for a commercial break and then we shall be back with you again very shortly
0: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network
1: would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper.
2: Hi, this is Chris Cooper. more dot and if you've got any comments on the show, please do uh, send me them at any time. Whether you're listening to this, to this live or not, I always love to hear from people. Uh, now, uh, Lewin, uh, before the break, we were obviously talking about uh, well about the voice, um, but I just wondered if you'd got any examples of people who use you know in your view use their voice badly and the sort of consequences of that. People who use their voices badly. It's interesting. I thought you were going to say people who use
3: their voices well, which, of course, uh, you get so many examples of. There are certainly people who do use their voices badly. Of course, one of the things about that is that the people we are exposed to a lot of the time through the media, so therefore a lot of our politicians um, and uh, presenters uh, and uh, actors and so on and so forth, these are all people who generally use their voices well but of course there are examples of people who do use their voices um, ineffectively. What I don't necessarily want to do is name too many names, um, but what I can do is mention um, there are certain people who perhaps have tried to change their voice to fit into a particular agenda. Now, what I mean by that is that recently, the, um, the Chancellor of the Exchequer over here in the United Kingdom, George Osborne, had a lot of negative press because he tried to change his natural way of speaking. Now, for those of you who uh, don't know about the background of George Osborne, he is a a very wealthy man in uh, in his own right, and he went to an extremely privileged school and went to Oxford University. And that's absolutely fine, nothing wrong in that at all. But you would expect him to speak in a certain way, and he does speak in a certain way that reflects that background. Anyway, a number of months ago, he went to deliver a speech uh, in a certain part of the country, which is not perhaps as affluent as the area that he came from uh, and does not generally send uh, its sons to uh, some of the most expensive fee-paying schools in the country and so on and so forth. And he was delivering this particular speech outside a supermarket, which, again, um, is not probably the type of supermarket that you're going to find too often, you know, in Kensington and uh, and other very smart parts of London. So you get the sort of picture I'm painting. So he turns up and he starts delivering this speech and starts to become a little bit, you know, a little bit street, a little bit man of the people, and he starts dropping a few T's here and there. For example, Great Britain becomes Britain. Um, people becomes people. And, you know, should he have had recourse to say the word cat, which I don't think he did in his speech, for obvious reasons, but it would have become cat. So what he was trying to do was just become something that he isn't. And I think this is a a real danger. Um, Shakespeare has this right when he says, to thine own self, be true. And I think it is a real danger when politicians try to be something that they're not, because as soon as you do that... Everybody else can see straight through you and knows what you're doing and it doesn't go down well. And then, of course, the, uh, the good ladies and gentlemen of the press start writing very unkind articles about you. And that becomes the story rather than what your actual message
2: is or was. Okay, Great. So what are, what are the problems that people face um, and therefore the areas when it, where, which are important to focus on when it comes to using your voice effectively?
3: I think some of the most important
2: areas you can concentrate on are
3: speaking with energy, speaking with enthusiasm, and speaking with passion. It really doesn't matter what your topic is. Even if you're just presenting the company, you know, financial statement for the past quarter, you might as well try and make it interesting for yourself uh, because then it's going to be more interesting for other people. And so, Using the right sort of energy, now, I stress using the right sort of energy. It does depend on what the actual uh, i suppose emotional content um, of of your uh, speech or pitch or presentation is, and of course, there is the danger of overdoing it you don 't want to come across uh, as 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 the person who's just getting a little bit uh, too too passionate about something you know if, if your if your topic is i don 't know. Um, waste management for the year ahead, and your office, uh, your audience, sorry, is, is um, you know, Dave Barry and Sue from the Norwich office, uh, and you're in meeting room three B on the seventh floor. Then declaiming your text like Kenneth Branagh giving his Henry V Eve of Battle speech is going to mark you down as a little bit odd. But so, so work with your audience, but still you can you can incorporate some sort of um, you can incorporate some sort of uh, energy and enthusiasm. You have to be passionate about your topic, so I think that's probably one of
2: the key things I would say at this stage yeah so uh, so I suppose uh, we, we've had recently the kind of anniversary for Martin Luther King I mean his very famous speech um, you know, I guess that was delivered with great energy and passion wasn't it? I think it's a
3: it's a classic example of speech with passion. I mean, there was somebody who obviously um, believed in the cause. He was speaking to 250,000 people. It was the culmination of this incredible march on Washington. And, you know, he was quite clearly the right man for the job because if you want to hear a speech being delivered with passion, then you can do a lot worse than actually listening to his speech.
2: Yeah. Yes. If anybody listening to this is hearing a few noise in the background, I think where Lewin is, there's... Uh, um, a building company decided to start some work next door. So <laughs> yes, it's not my stomach. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say that directly, but I thought we should uh, <laughs> make reference to it. Now, when we spoke, I mean, you mentioned, uh, and when we planned this show, you mentioned a number of different things. You mentioned like breathing and pace and pitch and pausing yeah. and clarity. And So I'd like to just sort of explore some of those things. So I wonder if you could... Um, you know, tell me tell us a little bit about breathing so that you speak better how can you do that
3: we're all uh, born to breathe in a particular way and um you know you've got kids i've got kids my three-year-old boy um i watch him breathe and i would encourage anybody who's got um children or who has family or friends who've got small children watch how they breathe and then note how you yourself are breathing and I can almost guarantee there'll be some sort of difference because somewhere in the, along the teenage uh, uh, years, in the teenage years, we slightly change the way we breathe and we forget to breathe efficiently or, and, and really organically. And what I mean by that is we're not taking enough, in, enough oxygen to, to really fill our lungs. And so what you actually need to do is, um, is just monitor how you breathe when you're about to go to sleep. Um, which is when we're at our most relaxed. And try and mimic that in when you've got uh, a moment when you actually have to use your voice to to speak to either perform and uh, inspire or, or persuade. And the reason for that is because you will find that you can support your voice. So sometimes... You come across people and you think, oh, they, their voice just sounds a little bit—I don't know—it's almost as if it's um, mono as opposed to stereo. And the only reason for that is because you're actually um, you're actually only using a tiny proportion of your lungs. So what you need to do is really, really fill those lungs, and you can support that voice and really, really uh, give weight and power to the words that you are using.
2: Mm. Uh, and, and other other sort of breathing exercises that you should do uh, to make sure you're breathing at the you know, appropriate level to support your voice. Or does the amount of supporting depend upon your pitch and pace and all that sort of thing?
3: I think there are certain breathing exercises you can do and one of the things uh, that, that I was talking about, monitor how you breathe when you're, when you're just about to go go to sleep, lying on your back uh, is an extremely good way to practice breathing exercises and one of the things you can do is you can put your hand on your tummy or you can put a sort of large dictionary, dictionary weight book on your tummy. And you can really focus on moving that book. You want to see that book rise up in the air as you inhale. And that will really encourage your diaphragm to develop a good, uh, good amount of strength. And then you'll be able to – this is just muscle memory. Then when you're in a situation where you need to actually uh, use your voice – you can click into that way of breathing and you 'll find you'll be able to take in much more oxygen, as I said earlier, which will really support your voice so it 's quite simple: lie on your back, make sure you 're nice and relaxed, make sure there 's something underneath your head, like a pillow to support your your skull, um, your head, um, and just put something a large a large book uh, on your on your tummy, roughly where your tummy button is, and really focus on breathing in and, and do these exercises using your mouth, breathe in and out through your mouth. This is not sort of deep relaxational work where you might breathe in through your nose. Breathe in and out through your mouth. And the reason for that is because when you're actually speaking, you do or we do get to the end of a thought or the end of a sentence and we breathe in through our mouths because we don't have time to breathe in through our noses.
2: Earlier on you talked a bit about energy and passion. I wonder with the energy and passion... When, and you talked about actually making sure you're not doing this uh, you know going in and doing a a speech a uh, uh, a very a very en- en- energizing speech if you're just having a meeting in a an office getting the kind yeah, sure. of mood right would you recommend if people are wanting to use their voices to really energize to actually maybe build that up um so you maybe start where the audience is and actually take them somewhere else?
3: I think you can take the audience on a journey and I think you should uh, and and can build people up. Um there are various examples of how people do use their voices to absolutely build a crowd and work a crowd and you know this is for, for good and for ill as well history is is littered with um, uh, uh, dangerous tyrants who know exactly how to build an audience, build a crowd up uh, and almost work them up into a frenzy so I think um, you, know, you can certainly take an audience on the journey by using your voice and by knowing when to sort of put in crescendos. It's like music. I use the word crescendo advisedly, um, and therefore when to put in diminuendos, i.e. when to, when to, when to, to increase the volume, when to lower the volume. Uh, the key thing here is about variety and actually using your voice uh, in a varied and interesting manner. Mm rather like rather unlike the drill that's going on next door it's neither varied nor interesting
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, so what
3: about what about pace pace is an interesting one pace is something that Uh, should be varied a lot i quite often talk to people about um thinking of their voices as a motorway journey if you're driving from a to b on a motorway and you stick in the middle lane and go at 60 miles or whatever that is 90 kilometers uh, an hour then okay you'll get to a to b in a certain time but it'll be an incredibly dull journey so you need to sometimes go out into the fast lane or go Go uh, down into the slower lane. And so you need to vary the pace. Uh, just to give you some examples, uh, Barack Obama speaks uh, on average at a very, very slow pace. He, he actually, on average, this is in a, in a sort of public situation, he speaks on average at around 90 words per minute, which is very, very slow. That's only about one and a half words per second. Now, This does not, of course, mean that that is the pace he goes at all times. He builds up, he slows down, he's not afraid of putting in some good pauses here and there. Um, Now, I wouldn't suggest that we all try and become Barack Obama. Barack Obama is obviously Barack Obama, and he does this very well, and he has his style. But I think that, you know, if people are just starting out and think, well, okay, so what do I speak at? I'm not going to be Barack Obama my advice is usually that if you are coming in at around somewhere between 130 and 160 words per minute that's about right for an audience to take in but the key thing is as i'm slightly over demonstrating here variety sometimes you want to speed up and sometimes you want to slow down And what that does is it helps the audience understand when you're, for example, getting to a bit that you're really passionate about and there's a key message coming up, or that you are getting to the end of a particular point and you are signposting the audience to say that, in a moment, I'm going to get to the end of this point and then we'll move on to another point. So uh, you can use uh, pace, but stick within that sort of parameter Don't go the other way and and speak too fast because you know I mean there are examples there's um, there are plenty of examples of people who who speak very very fast which is fine but you just need to make sure that you give your audience enough time to take in what it is that you are saying because if you just keep drilling away at an audience at a high speed eventually they won't really. Um, they won't take everything in. It's it's a bit like the stand-up comedian who goes, you know, one-liner after one-liner after one-liner after one-liner. One You're still laughing at the first joke while the comedian's on the fourth or fifth joke, and you start thinking, "Well, I've missed out on that particular joke on, you know, jokes two and three and four.
2: Mm-hmm. And I guess with someone like Barack Obama, he's uh, people are listening, or hanging on his words because they kind of want to hear what he's going to say next. Yeah.
3: Yeah, they are. There's a brilliant example. Uh, It's a speech that he gave in Wyoming in 2008 when Um, Hillary Clinton had uh, accused him of just being full of words, and that it wasn't words, it was solutions that are going to change um, uh, uh, America. And he responded with a speech saying, you know, don't tell me words don't matter. And if you just go onto YouTube and and look at that particular speech, uh, you'll find it under don't tell me words don't matter. Um, The first 90 minutes, not 90 minutes, the first 90 seconds, I beg your pardon, of that speech is an absolute masterclass in how to vary your pace
2: to really deliver a message and work a crowd. So, so we've got about three minutes to commercial break. So let's talk about pitch. Now you might want to just define what it is for a start.
3: Pitch is very interesting. If you think of your voice as a musical instrument, and I'm talking about the spoken voice, I know that a lot of the people listening will be able to, uh, will be no doubt very accomplished singers, but we're just talking about the spoken voice. And if you visualise a piano keyboard and look at two octaves, i.e. eight notes, it's basically two hand spans, the human voice has that musical note range available to us. But we tend only in everyday conversation to use three or four notes in uh, uh, of of, of our, our sort of optimum pitch. It's the sort of notes that you use when somebody you know you bump into somebody in the street and they say hi and you say hi, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You tend to stick on the same um, the same pitch. But in a more formal situation, and by formal, when I mean you are actually using your voice to try and have some sort of effect on another human being, then you'd want to think about using many, many more notes uh, and much more variety in your pitch. And of course, it doesn't mean that you have to go all the way up to the top and right the way down to the bottom. That, of course, you know, is, is, is um, unnatural. But what you're doing is you're just becoming a sort of slightly heightened version of yourself. And it really helps other people engage uh, and, and and listen to what you're saying. Mm.
2: makes a makes a lot of sense. So uh, we're going to go for a commercial break right now, and we should be back again in a just a couple of minutes uh, with some other key areas around how to use your voice effectively. So do stay on.
0: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
1: Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living?
0: How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central and Noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel or listen on demand to our archived shows. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Voice America Business Network.
2: Hi, this is Chris Cooper of BeMoreAchieveMore.com and I'm with uh, Lewin DeBerg. We're talking about improving your voice for greater success. And before the break, we were talking about um, areas like breathing, um, the importance of having energy and passion and using that appropriately, also about pace and about pitch. And uh, now, uh, Lewin, I'd like to move on to as talking about maybe things like the use of pauses because some people use pauses very well, and some people don't actually uh, catch, uh, don't stop for breath.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, there are certain uh, times when, of course, if you pause for too long, people will just think... Oh, okay. Well, the connection's gone, i.e. on on a radio interview. But, um, you know, you can use pause extremely effectively. Once again, to go back to that speech I was talking about just before the break with uh, Barack Obama, Don't Tell Me Words Don't Matter, he uses pauses very, very effectively. And if you listen to that speech, the first 90 seconds of it, you'll find it Peppered with pauses, some as long as three, four, maybe even five seconds. And you know, that's a lot of dead time. That's a lot of uh silence. And some people are really, really afraid of using pauses, and yet a pause can be can almost be more effective because it builds up what's about to come. Um, Mark Twain said the right word may be effective, but nothing was as effective as a rightly timed pause. And, you know, Mark Twain knew a thing or two about these things, and he's of course, of course is absolutely right.
2: It, it's also very, very important in situations like sales and negotiation, isn't it? Uh, particularly if you've delivered your sales pitch, rather than wanting to fill that spare time, actually giving the other person time to respond. It's very interesting how you can use pause in that particular
3: area. One of the things that uh, very effective salespeople are good at is knowing when to stop and then not saying anything else because that does put pressure on the other person. In the same way that um, skilled interviewers do exactly the same, but even more skilled interviewees will do the same, and i 'm talking about interviews not so much this, which is a uh, um, you know w- we know how much time we 've got allocated to us, and you 're not well, at least I assume you 're not chris you 're not trying to trip me up on anything um, but it, on certain political programs, for example, the interviewer is desperately trying to um, throw that curveball question to the uh, to the interviewee to the politician, and the politician is desperately trying to stick to their key message and not be lulled into areas that they don't want to go into. And you'll find very, very skilled interviewees will just answer the question and then will stop talking because it's a live show and that will put pressure back on the um, on the interviewer to carry on uh, and ask another question. So... You can hear people doing this all the time. Actually, interestingly, I another thing that's come into my mind from this is, is sometimes listening to um, certain politicians uh, and the way that they speak and the way that they slow their voices down and overdo certain words, just as I've been demonstrating there, to buy themselves valuable seconds because they know... That they've got, let's say, two minutes to go until the, um, you know, the news bulletin or the next commercial break, and all they have to do is slow themselves down, draw certain words out. Once again, I'm over demonstrating this for a, for a, uh, a point, but actually, that they will do this in order to, you know, use a lot of waffle, not answer the question,
2: and then, of course, it's the end of the interview. Mm-hmm. I can remember being in a very very important negotiation with a client that I was leading, and it was it was it, it involved hundreds of thousands of pounds it was a sponsorship deal and there was a number of different sponsors involved with this particular situation. it was a well known live TV event and i couldn 't understand why the company was paying so much money for this sponsorship, and I raised the question and said, "Look, you know what are other companies paying? You know, it seems that we're paying a lot of money. Can you explain how you deduced how much we paid and when it came down to it they the amount that they offered was because they felt we could afford it. so I said to them, well, actually um, we we should have parity with other organizations we can 't necessarily you know afford more so um, you know, based on us having par- parity with other organizations, what's the deal going to be now? And I left complete silence. I didn't say anything. And, and you could see they were very uncomfortable, and they were thinking it through. And they were just about to respond when the client said, well, of course, we would never dream of changing the deal at this, this late in the negotiation. Mm. I think that, that particular interruption cost them about £200,000.
3: Really? Gosh, that's uh, quite an expensive interruption.
2: Uh, and it was all because he couldn't stand the fact that there was a pause.
3: There you go. You see, you've just absolutely illustrated the point—or uh, Mark Twain's point. You know, um, nothing was as effective as a rightly timed pause.
2: Mm. Absolutely. So, so how about clarity? Then we talked about clarity a little bit earlier on about having you know clear speech. You know, like for example, Erming, I can remember the first ever. Ever presentation that I did in the corporate situation in a training course in my first job when someone was asked to give me feedback on it and they said, well, all I can say is, um." (laughs) erm. That stuck in my mind. The
3: erming thing is a very interesting one. It's a very natural thing to do. We do erm. There are theories that in conversation, when we're holding court and talking about, you know our favorite uh our favorite team or player or film or whatever it may be, and we're thinking about the next thing we want to say, but we haven't quite finished, and we don't necessarily want somebody else to jump in that we will keep the conversation ours by making some sort of sound which is the erm thing now, whether you believe that or don't believe that is, is of course entirely up to you, but the fact of the matter is that quite often. In a public speaking situation, people do erm um and um, and will start off presentations, pitches, speeches with um, and then other filler words. So, like, I just thought I would, and what I try to encourage people to do is actually start start as you mean to continue. Start, you know, come out of the blocks at speed. Come out of the blocks like uh, like like Mr. Bolt, rather than just warming up as as when the gun goes off with a few erms so how do you if you are somebody who does erm or arm etc cetera, etc cetera, how do you get over that unfortunately there are no uh, no magic uh, spells or no magic pills that you can take to actually conquer that but it, a lot of it is raising awareness and practice. And what I often say to people who do erm um or um is that when you feel an erm um or an um coming on, I know this sound, might sound very trite and easy to say, just don't do it. But I do mean, just don't do it. And But instead of erming or umming, use it as a pause or use it to take a breath. And very, very quickly you will start to find that instead of erming or umming, you are actually substituting that for a breath or a thought. And actually, what it does is it's, it, it can it can slow some people down, and a lot of people do speak a bit too fast, so it has that added advantage. And it just makes you sound a little bit more, um, says he, erming, a little bit more coherent, perhaps, not, of course that erming and numbing makes you sound incoherent, but it just it just keeps the flow going.
2: I guess the goal may be to perhaps to halve the amount of erms and numbs rather than necessarily eradicate it, because it does seem to be you know a natural part of speech, perhaps. So maybe that might be the first goal rather than blame getting angry with yourself if you let one or two slip out. I think you're absolutely right. I don't think it matters
3: if one or two slip out, as indeed I just did then when I was talking about erming. I ermed when I was thinking about erming, and that's absolutely fine. I don't think any of your listeners will be suddenly switching off in disgust. It's, <laughs> it's, well, I hope not. It's just one of those things that we do, and it does make you sound normal and natural. Of course, there are moments when you know, you may not want to erm um and arm. Um. I'm sure that Dr. Martin Luther King, and as you so rightly say, we've just had the 50th anniversary of that great speech, would not have wanted to erm um or arm um in that particular speech. But he was very, very well-versed in the art of oratory, and he will have known the importance of getting the whole, I suppose, the whole musicality of his speech across. Mm-hmm.
2: For anyone who's seen Pygmalion with Eliza Doolittle, the character in it, there was a a lot of work going on to improve her voice. I wonder what exercises can people do to help them? In fact, there was actually the the very famous uh, film. I've forgotten the title of it now, but it was about the king. Oh, the king's speech. The king's speech, yeah. The King's uh,
3: the, the King's Speech is a very interesting film, a brilliant film and uh the the main premise there of course is that you have a man who had a speech impediment. He had a stutter and a stammer um, which of course is uh, absolutely hideous for somebody who has to use his voice to make speeches as the sovereign head of state. Uh, you can think of almost nothing worse. Um, for anybody in that position. And a lot of the exercises that were um, actually very real exercises and the sort of exercises that do go on, if you go to drama schools, you'll see a lot of those exercises uh, being taught to students to help them free up, open their voices. And, it. well, you will have seen from the film, they, they are very, uh, very efficacious. They actually work. Some of them are quite unusual, but and, and sort of thing you might not get your average CEO of a major law firm doing but there again they may or may not need to do that George VI had a particular speech issue that he needed to to deal with but with regard to those of us who are not uh, reigning monarchs and have to use our voices in everyday situations whether it's giving a pitch, whether it's giving a presentation, whether it's making a major speech, or whether it's just going out and um, going on a date, who knows? And you want your voice to be working for you and, and selling you in the best possible light. There are certain things that you can do. One of the things I get a lot of people to do, quite simply, is to hum. Because humming is a very, very good way of warming up your voice. Now, if you are, let's say going to give a radio interview, or going to, for an actual interview, or going to meet somebody, and it's, and it's at 8.30 in the morning, you've been out of bed for a while, but probably haven't spoken for too many uh, for, to too many people, maybe it's quite cold, your vocal cords and your voice is not going to be warmed up. If you were a singer, you'd go through, I mean, a, a good half hour of warming up your voice exercises you're not a singer, you're just going for an interview or you're going to meet somebody or or whatever it may be. But you may as well start off with your voice, not in a sort of slightly reedy, crackly place, but in a in a warm and, and rich and resonant place. And one of the best ways you can do that is to hum. And you can hum absolutely anything you like. It can be as tuneless, um as 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 uh, I don't know, as some sort of um uh, throat singing chant from Mongolia. It really doesn't matter what it is, but what you will do is you'll start warming up the articulators, you'll feel that buzzing on your lips, um, your, your voice will start opening up. The, the the resonance, you know, Chris, when you were talking earlier about hearing your voice in a different way to other people, and I mentioned it's the buzzing, the, the vibrations in your in in your bones, in your skull and in your upper chest. You'll start to really open those uh, those resonating chambers up, and your voice will sound like an like an orchestra, really, like a full orchestra. And it'll be, you'll be using the, the the double basses and the timpani as well as the flutes and the violins. So, Great. humming is a very good
2: exercise. Great. Well, we have to we have to leave it there because we've run out of out of time. Um, but uh, thank you very much, Louin, for being on the show. My pleasure. You're very welcome. And for more information on Lou and DeBerg, go to www.deberggroup.com. That's D-E-B-U-R-G-H group.com. If you've got any questions or feedback, please send them to chris at bemoreachievemore.com or leave on Facebook at facebook.com slash bemoreachievemore. Uh, Thank you very much for the man who was drilling for stopping um, during the last section. And uh, um, just finally next week, we have uh, a show on growing your business. Um, And practically it's with a gentleman called Doug Daubry, who I know very well and he really has got a brilliant way of very practically and clearly explaining with no nonsense how to grow a business and um, I now use his services because uh, he's, 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 he's very helpful um, and as I say very practical so I would strongly recommend to listen to that show and uh, as I say um, if you have any comments get in touch and also do have a great week <laughs>
1: For listening to Be More, Achieve More. Please join your host Chris Cooper again next Friday at 8 a.m. US Pacific Time, typically 4 p.m. London on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program. Brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel.